for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you've stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review about your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by giving online at believerschurch.tv. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We're located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. I'd like to welcome you guys again to Believer's Church. Thank you for being with us today. If you're with us, I want to encourage you. Well, you're definitely with us. Um, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the first two messages in this series. It's been a wonderful series. I've, I've had people reach out to me about some of the things that are going on in their lives, some of the struggles that they are having. Doubt is a very, a very real thing, a very complex thing, a very difficult thing that if we're honest enough to admit, all of us go through at one time or another. So today we are in the third part of a four-week series titled, When in Doubt. We want to closely examine the dangers, the questions, and also the benefits, it's something that you often don't hear, but the benefits of doubt. Last week we discussed how our emotional state can often lead us to a place of doubt. And today we want to discuss a closely related topic, and that is circumstantial doubt. That is, whenever we go through certain circumstances in our lives, some that may be very good, uh, some in which you struggle, we often question or doubt the character of God. So it is very normal to experience certain positive circumstances and believe that God is in control or, or working in our lives. And when we go through these things, we want to tell everybody about God. We want to give God the glory. We want to give God the praise. We want to talk about everything that God has blessed in our lives. So think about those moments whenever you've had those moments. The new relationship that you go into and you're just convinced that this is a God thing and this is what God wanted for your life. And maybe it is or maybe it was. Uh, the promotion that you get at work or the new business that you're able to start up. Restoring a bad relationship, maybe someone in your family, maybe an ex, whatever that looks like. Whenever you see this kind of reconciliation, you often believe very strongly that God is at work. It's also rather normal to experience hardship or a change of plans or circumstances that happen in your life that you never would have wanted. A pandemic would be a perfect example of this, something that we are all collectively going through together. Or the breakup of a relationship. God, I was convinced you wanted me to be with that person. What did I do wrong? Or why are you not good? You get laid off from this wonderful job. Someone hurts you in the church, which is a good reason that a lot of people are not in church. They begin to doubt God. What this does, these circumstances, is they become a spiritual compass for many people. In the exact same way that we talked about how a lot of people are led by their emotions as a spiritual compass. So if God is doing wonderful things in your life and you feel, you feel joy, then God must be working. But if all of a sudden th things turn bad, your marriage gets rocky, some things have not worked out exactly the way that you planned, then all of a sudden we make the claim that God must be 
bad. So there are many directions that we could go today whenever we are discussing this topic. Job, no, everybody goes to Job, all right? Whenever they're talking about this, everybody goes to Job or the female Job, uh, Naomi, but I'm, I'm not going there today. David was also a victim of horrible circumstances. Joseph faced some pretty horrible circumstances at the hands of his brother, uh, brothers. But this morning, I want to discuss the bizarre and timely circumstances surrounding the pregnancy of Sarah and Abraham. All right, so if you want to turn to Genesis chapter 17, that's where we're going to be today. Otherwise, you can, you can look up here on the screen. You can use your phone. Uh, however it is that you want to try to look at the scripture, you can do that. The, the chapter, chapter 17, opens up with God solidifying his covenant with Abraham. He's also giving Abraham instructions for what this covenant means and what it's supposed to look like. But this covenant is not just for Abraham. This covenant is also for future generations. And that's really, really important. And the reason that's so important is because that involves you and that involves me. All right, so some circumstances this morning. Genesis chapter 17. I'm going to look at verses 15 through 19. And then I want to skip over to chapter 18. So Genesis 17, flip down to 15 through 19. And then we're going to go to the next chapter for just a little bit as well. So this is what it is. God said to Abraham, As for your wife, Sarai, you will no longer call her Sarai. Her name will now be Sarah. This is deeply significant. Because in both the Old and the New Testament, names, and still to this day in some cultures, names are very important. They signify something beyond what you simply call a person. I will bless her and even give you a son from her. I will bless her so that she will become nations and kings of people will come from her. This is talking about the generational life. Abraham fell on his face, and get this right here, because this is going to be critical, and he laughed. He said to himself, can a 100-year-old man become a father and a 90-year-old woman have a child? To God, Abraham said, if only you would accept Ishmael, the other son that I have, which is, this is the son from Hagar, which was Sarah's servant. But God said, no, your wife, Sarah, will give birth to a son for you, and you will name him Isaac. Again, this name, Isaac, is also critical. I will set up a covenant with him and with his descendants after him as an enduring covenant. Okay, so let's go over to chapter 18. Fast forward just a little bit and look at verses 11 through 14. Now, Abraham and Sarah were both very old. I think we've already established that, all right? But they're both very old. Sarah was no longer menstruating. So Sarah laughed again a second time. Sarah laughs to herself, thinking, I am no longer able to have children, and my husband is old. Abraham must love continuing to hear that over and over. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Me give birth at my age? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? When I return to you about this time next year, Sarah will have a son. How many times in your life have you faced circumstances 
that have brought you into a place in which you have doubted God. For me, many, many times, and I don't know if that sounds strange to hear from a pastor, whenever I was meeting with some of the guys at the church on Wednesday, Justin actually mentioned, he said it was somewhat comforting to hear that you said that you have 75% of the time you don't really feel God, that you're walking within this 10 to 15 feet, this light that is 10 to 15 feet that we talked about. But I have doubted God as recently as breakfast. I have probably doubted God as recently as I stepped out of that office uh, just a few minutes ago. All right, it's my nature. I'm a cynic. It's the way that I've always been. I've always questioned things. Have you questioned God when you didn't get that job? Did you question God when your marriage didn't go as planned? And you see, this is huge. Because a lot of people believe, I marry this woman, I marry this, this man, it's supposed to be perfect, I know that God brought them into my life, but then how can we explain sometimes when it doesn't work out? All right, in fact, for a lot of people, this is an end point. You struggle with maybe deep depression and anxiety. Your prayers over and over and over again are not being answered. Your children have gone wayward. You've told yourself, I raised my kids a certain way to be a certain way. And they didn't turn out that way. In fact, maybe they went the complete opposite direction. And you begin to have, have self-doubt as well as doubt God. You feel like you can't overcome addiction, which is the place of so many people whenever they have a period of sobriety and then maybe another period of sobriety and they find themselves falling back in. You feel maybe that you're destined to never get married. And you feel this internal loneliness that, that, that very few of us really understand. And you're asking all these questions about God. What about the, the horrible circumstances in the world? Isn't this the reason that you hear a lot of people not believe in God or, or they don't go to church? How could a good God allow these kinds of things to happen? I hear it all the time. Global poverty and inequality starvation and malnutrition, sex trafficking and abuse, immorality in the church, immorality in the church all over the world, racism, broken families, hurting people over and over again. It certainly seems that the circumstances of this world do give us at least some reason to ask some questions. And, and to doubt God. All right, so notice that even Abraham laughed at God. Sarah is going to laugh as well in chapter 18, but Abraham laughs at God. But I don't believe that the normal reaction is laughter. Whenever you're going through a period of doubt, and almost every single one of us that are in here right now have been there before, I don't think that the normal reaction is laughter like ha 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 god you let me down because it's not very funny i think the normal reaction is anger and i believe that there are people that are in here right now and that there are people that are that are watching live right now and the truth is even if you don't realize it on the surface and maybe it's buried somewhere deep down inside You've got some anger going on with God because the circumstances in your life didn't pan out or didn't work out exactly the way 
that you had pictured or exactly the way uh, that you had planned. I believe it's a normal reaction. And anger often leads to rebellion. And this is when people tend to really push God away. How many times have you been angry with God because the circumstances in your life didn't work out? You know, when we got married almost nine years ago, Beth and I, whenever we got married, uh, one of the first things that we talked about and wanted to be able to do uh, was have a child, okay? And when uh, we, were, we were both, I got married whenever I was 30. Um, I didn't want to be um, too far along whenever I had a child, no, that nothing to dad right there. My, my dad, a lot of times, because dad had kids older than me, people will say, I'll say that, and they'll say, well, just look at your dad. I'm like, no, no, I don't want to go that far. Not that far. Dad was a little bit older. All right, but 30 years old, and then 34 or 35 um, whenever, whenever Cora was born. But we went through three years of, of infertility, uh, money, time, energy, and I know that there are people in this, in this church right now that, or that are listening that know exactly what I'm talking about. And maybe for you it was just one year of infertility, or maybe it was 12 years of infertility, or maybe you've never been able to have a child. And you've probably or possibly even experienced a miscarriage or several miscarriages. And these are the moments, if we can be very real, that we can ask these questions, where is God in this moment? I'm not asking for a bad thing. In fact, this is a good thing. And these are the questions that we were asking several years ago. The doctors gave us a 1% to 3% chance of having a child. And we had two after that, so that tells you how God works. All right, But there was plenty of angers, uh, anger. And there were plenty of thoughts that we had in that time period, and you want to know what's really difficult, and I know that some of you are going to be able to relate to this as well. Whenever you're in that moment and you're trying, and someone else gets pregnant on Facebook or social media, or someone else, your friend, is having a child, or better yet, someone you don't even like is having a child, All right, or those situations that some parents look at and say they didn't even want a child, or they're not in a place where they're ready to have a child, and here we are, and we're ready. You know, God, what's going on? Why are these circumstances the way that they are? And what was difficult for us is that Beth is constantly frustrated because it's not happening, and I'm frustrated because it's not happening, but at the same time wanting us to have a marriage that's concentrated on us and not these constant thoughts of having a child, it was extremely difficult. Eventually, uh, well, let me, let me go to this place next. We, um, we started, Beth started to discuss adoption. And we were on our way to a concert in Charlotte, and she brought it up. And it started a huge, horrible argument. In fact, it ruined the whole trip, because I was still in that moment of wanting to biologically have a child. And she was in a moment where she had accepted that possibly that's not going to happen, and started to consider adoption. After the trip, I told her I would pray about it, I would think about it, let me have some time to really, really think about this. And then after a couple weeks, a few weeks, I told her, okay, I'm, I'm prepared to do this. I can accept that this is not going to be the way. We talked about it a lot. And until we completely let go 
of the possibility of having a child. We had even invested money at this point in the adoption process. Beth gets pregnant. And it's Easter weekend, and she comes out and she tells me she's pregnant. I'm like, no, there's, there's, you're, you're not pregnant. No, no, I think I'm pregnant. We need to go get a pregnancy test right now, another one. So I rush down to Rite Aid. We're in the car. We come back. And I have, that is, I've never mowed my lawn so happy. All right? And, and, and Cora was, was obviously uh, came to us about eight and a half months later. Okay, so please get this and understand this. God is not a God of your circumstances or your way. He is the God of a perfect plan that completely outweighs your circumstances in every single way. If you have a God that never alters or threatens your circumstances, you don't have a God. You have a genie in a bottle that grants wishes. That's what you have. It's not a God. So what we must learn and be willing at any moment to trust in a perfect plan that is often not confirmed by our circumstances or confirmed by our emotions. A few weeks ago, we t- or last week, we talked about this 10 to 15 feet of light in a dark tunnel that we follow. And this becomes the essence of our livelihood and what we are. Are you angry at God because of your circumstances? Or are you hopeful in the plan that outweighs all of the circumstances in your life? Because one thing that's really difficult for us to understand, some of you are there, And some of you are not there. But there are four words that you need to understand in your life. It's not about you. And whenever you surrender to the cross of Christ, and when you make the decision that even though at times you are going to doubt, you're going to continue to move forward in this faith walk. That is something that you have to recognize. Because why are we angry to begin with? It's because things didn't go as we had planned. Also notice, there's been a theme of God's promises. And two of our songs this morning, our worship songs had to do with this. But there had been a theme of God's promise within this passage. Within this this series. Also notice that the complexity of doubt as complex as it is, never outweighs the promises of God that He has for us in our lives. The only thing that you need to be prepared to do is it's not to overthink. It's not to try to figure it out. As we talked about last week, it's not to try to receive clarity. The only thing that you have to do is walk forward in that promise that is waiting for you on the other side. What do Abraham and Sarah say? We are old. They say it several times. We are old. Sarah says, I am no longer menstruating. I can no longer have children. And listen at what God says. You see, they see circumstances. Listen to what God says. Genesis 18, 14. Is anything... Too difficult for the Lord? 
Is anything too difficult for the Lord? When I return to you about this time next year, Sarah will have a son. Not Sarah might have a son. Not there is a possibility that she could have a son. Not if I can get this age thing figured out for you. And this season of life that Sarah is now in, you will have a son. When I return about this time next year, why this time next year? I've wondered that so often. Maybe Sarah and maybe Abraham needed that time and that process to think through and build deeper trust and faith waiting on God to come back and return and give this miracle. The King James Version says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the word, the Lord? This comes from the Hebrew word pala. Now think about it this way. This, and Hebrew is a beautiful language, even more beautiful than the Greek. This is what this means. On one side, consider that you have a beautiful coin, okay? On one side, there is nothing that surpasses God's ability, all right? So you've got one side of the coin that says there is nothing that surpasses God's ability, all right? God can do anything in your life. The other side of this coin with this Hebrew word says expect a miracle. So throughout the course of this year in which they are waiting, they are expecting, they are anticipating, they are knowing that God is going to work. I don't know what it is that you're doubting right now. I don't know what those circumstances look like. I don't know if it's a business decision. I don't know if it's something difficult you're going through with a coworker. I don't know if there are issues in your marriage, issues with your kids. You've recently been diagnosed with an illness. You know you've got a certain amount of time to live. You've recently been diagnosed with something in the mental health area in which you're deeply struggling and this is all new to you and you're, you're worried about what people are going to think of you. How are you going to step back into life? It, it could be addiction. It could be where you're supposed to be at church. It could be if you're supposed to go to another job. There are all of these things. There are a plethora of things that happen in the human experience. I don't know what it is for you, but there are circumstances that can certainly draw you away. So what is the outcome of this promise and this birth? What does this actually look like? What does it look like as we look forward in Scripture? All right, this is beautiful. This is a picture of the future. This is Genesis 21, 1 through 3. The Lord was attentive to Sarah, or the Lord paid attention to her. When the Lord said something, the Lord had full intention of carrying out those difficult in what seemed like impossible circumstances. The Lord was attentive to Sarah just as he had said. Imagine that. And the Lord carried out just what he had promised her. She became pregnant, gave birth to a son from Abraham when he was again old. He wasn't getting any younger. All right, when he was old. At the very time God told him. His timing is always going to be better than your timing. God knew, for whatever reason, that Beth and I needed time together as a couple to work through some things before Cora was born. God knew that we needed to be attentive to our oldest daughter, my, step, my stepdaughter, Callie, before we were ready to have another child. But no, we wanted things in our timing. We wanted things the way that we wanted it. You, we, we always, we want the money then. We want the answers then. We want the job 
then when God says, no, there are things that I must teach you that are going to reveal my power and my spirit to you so that you will understand me in a greater way. Abraham named his son, the one Sarah bore him, Isaac. All right, now listen. This is the best part. All right, this is the best part right here. You know what the name Isaac means? The name Isaac means laughter. All right, the name Isaac, God has a sense of humor. All right? Abraham and Sarah's reaction to having a son, if you remember, they laughed and they doubted God. Get this, do not miss this. God took the seeds of doubt and disbelief, laughter, and turned it into generational life. Only God does that. The seeds of doubt. You can't do this. Do you understand how old I am? Do you understand my season of life as a woman and the fact that I can't have children? Do you understand that? So I'm going to laugh at you. God says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take that laughter and I'm going to make a promise. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Jacob means Israel. Generational life that goes on and on and on and on. Ashes to beauty is the story of God every single time. Every single time. Some of you in here are in circumstances that I can't even begin to imagine. And you know what's funny? You can look at some people as you get to know them, and you can see because it's written on their face, they're a wreck. They're hurting. They've been through difficult times. It's very, very clear. But some of you that are in here right now, including myself, we hide it pretty good. We give the impression that everything is okay, especially when we're in a place like church. All right, it's only in the quiet nights or the dark nights of the soul sometimes whenever we're alone or we're simply, we're just with our spouse or maybe just with our kids that we can really break down and look at God and say, man, he's so unfair. God is not good. Because if God was good, those people at that church never would have hurt us that way. If God was good, I never would have experienced some of the things that I experienced in my childhood. If God was good, there's no way that almost half the world would be living on less than $2 a day. If God was good, none of these things would, in, in history or in my personal life would be occurring right now. So what do we do with this, with this doubt? What do we do when, when in your situation right now, when the circumstances are not working out the way that you had anticipated? What do we do whenever we're facing these issues? Just a, a few things that we must realize. This, this is so important. This, 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 this first one is so important, okay? Difficult circumstances are not a sign of God's evil. All right, you notice what we go through. We never blame the devil. We always blame God. That's amazing to me. It's amazing to me that we never flee from the devil, but we always say, why God? With every circumstance that we go through. All right? Uh, difficult circumstances are not a sign of God's evil. Difficult circumstances are a sign that God wants to do a work within you. And the sooner you understand that, what it's going to do, it's going to reframe your theology. It's going to change the way that you actually look at God. 
Is this evil being in the, spot, uh, in the sky that constantly wants to destroy you, squash you like a gnat because you're a bad human being? And it's going to make you understand that the circumstances in your life that require or make you say that God is evil, well, it's actually a gift. Right? It's actually something that is designed to teach you. It's actually something that's designed to draw you in closer and closer and closer. Is that difficult to understand when you're going through all the junk? Yes. But whenever you get to the other side, as many as you have been to the other side, you begin to see the way that he has molded you and shaped you and formed you and the way that all things are indeed new. Also, difficult circumstances, they will change our character. They will make us new, and that is a good thing. But they do not change God's character. God is persistent. God's character is, is never changing. So again, as we go through the ups and downs emotionally of our circumstances and the job change and the relationship change, and all of a sudden you find yourself in the world single, all of a sudden you find yourself in the world broke, all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation where you have a really bad relationship with your mom or dad or a friend or another family member or whoever, that God is actually working through that process fully. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? This is really important, and, and, and the reason this is important is because I do firmly believe, I do firmly believe that a lot of people, and, and maybe not a lot of people in this room right now, I, I don't know, but that a lot of people are very angry at God, or if they're not sure if they believe in God, they're very angry at the idea of God. All right? And we said that anger is ultimately going to lead to rebellion. All right, so this is why I think this is so important, and this is what I want you to get today. Do not allow the bad circumstances in your life to damage your view of God. Allow them to develop your view of God. So instead of creating this damage that ultimately does destroy a lot of people, you know, there were probably people in Believer's Church that were very active at one time that were part of a lot of different things within this church that are no longer here because of a bad relationship or no longer here because something hurt their feelings or no longer here because some kind of circumstances. You know what? Some of these people didn't leave this church to go to another church. Some people leave a church to never go to church again because of church people. So what this is doing is this is damaging instead of developing our view. So if we can have an understanding of the consistency of the character of God, always good, always loving, in your worst possible place. It's especially hard for people like me that, that, that base so much on merit. If I'm working harder, if I'm getting that bottom line, if I'm checking off my list for the day so that everything's done, if I'm getting that, those words of affirmation in which someone's patting me on the back, well, God must love me more. But if the sermon wasn't very good, or if the church seems to attendance or decline, is, is declining or down, or I, I'm, I'm in a bad mood, or I'm not doing very well, then maybe God loves me a little bit less. Not true. Not true. You see, we weigh our view of God on culture's view of God. The American way is how we often look at our view of God. When you are in your dark moments, when you are struggling, when you are completely depleted of your resources and feel that you can't go any further, God's not close, God's closer than close. 
And when you understand that and when you embrace this, what this does is this begins to develop your view of God. You know what Paul calls that? He calls it working out your salvation. Salvation as a process that you are constantly working through every single day of your life. That's why we said that people are doing well. We talked about this last week and the week before. People are doing well until they hit that bump in the road and then they're finished. We need a view of God that is becoming more and more mature as we grow into a deeper understanding of His character. Genesis 18, 14 again, and this is what I want you to think about as we leave. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? What if this entered into the mindset that you currently have as you say to yourself over and over, God can't. God can't. He probably doesn't understand the circumstances that I'm currently going through. But what if you knew that he was not only working through those circumstances, but he was on the other side welcoming you to the finish line? You, believers, are a product of God's perfect timing every single time. With all heads bowed this morning and all eyes closed, there is, there is something specifically that I want to do, and it may involve some courage on your part with, with the difficult circumstances that you're going through, and all, all uh, heads are bowed and all eyes are closed. But if you're going through something right now, Maybe you don't know how you're going to pay your bills next month. Maybe in the light of this virus, your anxiety is so strong that you're surprised you were even able to make it to church. And some people that are listening right now, maybe they're listening online because, because it is too fearful or they feel it, that it's safer. Maybe you're struggling with a relationship. Maybe you're going through something that you've been going through for many years and you continue to place that blame on God. Or you continue to see only the circumstances and not the God of the circumstances. No one's looking around. Would you just raise your hand so that I can pray for you? Thank you so much for your honesty. Anyone else this morning? About ten hands up. Anyone else? Thank you. Father, we come to you uh, this morning. Understanding how little we know and how little we understand. And that most of our lives, from a spiritual point of view, we feel as if we're grasping at straws and we're just trying our best to, to keep up. Father, things change. The Spirit of God is activated. The Spirit of God is activated whenever we learn to see our circumstances different. Not in a way that will damage our relationship with you, but in a way that will develop our relationship with you. Damage means walk away. Develop means what's God up to? What's God doing? Should I really, as James said, count it all joy when I go into times of trials and suffering? 
knowing that it's going to produce endurance, knowing that I am going to be more rooted than ever before. Father, I lift these individuals up to you. I lift our our church up to you, God, in the circumstances that we currently face in this season. God, praying that we trust in you with everything that we have. In Christ's name, amen.